Good morning, everybody, and welcome to part one of uh, a brand new series. Um, I think I'm old enough to say this now. Um, those of you who are older than me might uh, discipline me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I am old enough to, to, to realize there are a lot of things that are, that, that are true now in my life that were not true when I was growing up. Uh, look back, and a lot has changed over the last uh, 43 years. And one of those things that has changed pretty dramatically is how we get our information. Um, some of you can, can remember this. I, when I was growing up, if you wanted to know something, one of the ways you figured out whatever that something was is you went to this multi-volume set of books <laughs> called an encyclopedia, yes. And those of you who are 30 and younger have no idea what an encyclopedia is, right? Like you had to actually get out a book, look it up, read it, and then you had to, you basically had to store all of that knowledge in your head because there was, there was nowhere else where that stuff existed. I know it's crazy to think we actually had to read books to learn stuff back in the day, right? Like there is no Google, there was no Siri, there was no Alexa, there was this book. And I was not the most academically motivated kid so that was sounded like a lot of work to learn stuff. And so I just didn't do it. If, if it didn't have to do with Michael Jordan or baseball, I didn't care about it. I just didn't, I just didn't learn. But today, you've got Google, right? You've got Siri, you've got Alexa, and, and you don't have to go to a book anymore. You just, you just ask them a question, and they'll answer it for you. Watch this. Hey, Siri. Maybe. <laughs> hey, Siri. Uh-huh. Why do pastors... Hey, did somebody's phone just go off? Is this somebody else? Object lesson done. This is why you turn your phone off at church, everybody. Not really. I was going to ask her a question, but she's not working. Google and Siri and Alexa is all over the place. Like we don't, we, we don't have knowledge at the tips of our fingers. We have knowledge at the tips of our tongue. We just, just ask a question, right? And they'll, they'll get you all kinds of information. It may not be right information, but all those excuses I came up for with not knowing stuff are gone today, right? So come to this series, What Happens After You Die. If you Google, if you go to Google, and you could do this right now if you want to. I don't, I don't care. If you go to Google and you type in what happens, here's what comes up. First thing, what happens when you die? The first thing that comes up is in the predictive search options is what happens when you die, which is really interesting because these results are ranked on the number of times people search for that phrase. So that first phrase that comes up when you search for something on Google is the number one thing people around you are searching for. Go, um, you go to Eastern Europe and you type in that question, the answer would be different. Go to Africa, the answer would be different. Go to China, the answer would be completely different. The people around us, I did this on my computer. The people around us, that, that's the first thing that they're asking about. What happens after you die? Uh, the, the fourth one is, you know, the first one is what happens when you die. The fourth one is what happens after you die. If you go down a little bit further, it's like what happens after death. So three of the top 10 people are asking, what happens? What happens after this life? And this is why some people have um, dubbed Google the great confessional. 
the great confessional. There was a book uh, written a couple years ago called Everybody Lies. It was written by um, a, a former economist and a New York Times author. And, and he talks about this idea that Americans specifically will say things publicly, mainly on social media, that they don't actually believe privately. It's, it's a fascinating book. So you go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, you go on Twitter, and, you know, my husband's so amazing. Or, you know, been together with my husband for 20 years and going strong. I heart my hubby, you know, different things on social media. But then you go to the great confessional. You go to Google and you see what people are actually thinking about. And I'm not saying that, that correlation equals causation here, but watch this. Just, just for example, when you type in, I wish my husband. <laughs> Ladies, you got some explaining to do. <laughs> right? I wish my husband would die, loved me, made more money, would leave me, would cheat on me, was dead, was more romantic. What? Right? And again, I'm not saying that everybody who posts stuff about loving their husband on Facebook is the same people asking these questions. But I'm just saying, that whole talk about social media not being true, it's true. It's not always lining up with what we actually believe. Okay, so all of that to say, Google is the great confessional. People are searching for answers to their questions. And apparently, one of the number one questions people want to know what happens after I die? What happens after I die? What happens when I die? What happens after death? And, and, and the interesting thing is, and, and I don't know if you're going to identify with this or not, but if you're a follower of Jesus, like following Jesus doesn't take away that question. Christianity has a lot of answers to that question, but it doesn't take away that, that wandering that we have inside of us. So this series is for those of you who would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm in, he's worthy of it all. And it's a series for those of you who aren't, that you ask those same questions because this isn't a Christian question. This is a human question. What happens after we die? So this week um, and next week, I'm gonna teach how I normally do. Um, and then part three and four of the series is actually gonna be driven by you, okay? I've never done this before. And so I picked a really easy topic to do it on. This is for parts three and four. I'm going to take your questions that you have. In part three, it'll be about heaven. In part four, it'll be about hell. And whatever questions you have about heaven or questions about hell is what part three and part four of this series is going to be about. So here's how you get those questions to us. You can use the connection card if you want, but you can also, also text us. You can text Ask GP to 94000. You can do this right now if you want to. You can do it throughout the message. You can do it for about a week. I need some time to prepare. So don't wait till next Saturday to send me something, okay? So give us, give us those questions. We might not be able to get to all the questions that get asked, um, but for part three and part four of this series, we will answer the questions. You're going to drive the conversation in part three in part four of the series. So get those questions to us. But again, to kick things off today, um, sometimes I think it's helpful to define what something is by looking at what something isn't. And so we're going to look at five widely held beliefs about eternity, and I'm calling these five myths about eternity. These are things that you see in our culture. These are things that you may, sometimes you have to dig underneath the surface a little bit to figure out what people are actually asking about this. We're going to hold these up to the lens of scripture, which I believe is reliable, 
which I believe is true. Um, and the reason I want to do this, just to, it's just today's kind of the introduction. The reason I want to do this is because I don't think we think very deeply about this. I don't think, and, it, and it's uncomfortable, right? It's unknown. And whenever something is uncomfortable and unknown, we don't like spending a lot of time thinking or even talking about it. Some of you might be uncomfortable that we're talking about this today. But at the same time, you go to Google, and there's all kinds of people asking this question. All kinds of people. It may not be something you talk about a lot in your family or with your friends, but it's probably something that's going on inside of you. You're wondering about it. We're thinking about this, and I want us to think through these thoroughly. Line them up with Scripture, see what Scripture says about it, and see if they're true. So we'll use Scripture some today, but some of these are also pretty easily um, to, to deconstruct logically if you just, just kind of think through it, okay? I've heard some of these personally. I've seen other people ask these. I've had conversations with people about them. So we'll talk about these one by one. These are five myths about eternity. And the first one is this. I don't have to think about this. I don't, I don't have to think about this. A lot of people don't think about it. And my guess is if you're 50, 60 and older, you probably think about it a little bit more than those of you who are 20 and 30 and under. There's something about age. There's something about maturity there's something about watching people who you, who, who you love and who you've been with your entire life, how when they die, there's something that makes you start to think about it. But the reality is no matter how old you it's not an age thing. Like you're going to have to think about this because you aren't going to live forever. Nobody wrote that down. Did you notice that? Because we all know I'm not going to live forever. I just don't think about it a whole lot. Then here's the other piece of it. We're not going to live forever, and we don't get to choose when we die. You don't get to choose when you die. Like every time I'm driving down the highway and I see an accident, I think, they didn't wake up today thinking that would happen. Nobody does. Nobody wakes up and thinks, I think today's the day I'm going to get into a terrible car accident and die. Or, or ATV. Or snowmobile. Or drowning accident a tornado. You know, nobody's thinking, that's going to happen to me today. But isn't it true? It happens almost every day to somebody. So we know we're going to die. We don't get to choose when, but somehow, some way, you're not going to be here anymore. And I think you should think about that. I think you should think about that. See, we do this, uh, we do this, I do this in other areas, this not thinking thing. We do this in other areas of our life. Um, I just finished up another class last week. Uh, it was a theology class. And um, at the very beginning of the class, about nine weeks ago, I knew everything that I was going to do for that entire eight-week period. I could look at the syllabus. I can see what I'm going to do in week one, two, three, four. And I, what I did the very, the very first day that the class went live online, I looked at the final because I wanted to know, what's this final going to be like? Because the final is always the hardest week. And so I look at the final, I know, nine weeks ago, I knew what the final was going to be. And you know what I did the entire eight weeks? Don't want to think about the final. I don't want to think about the final. I don't want to think about the final. I don't want to think about the final, right? I don't want to think. Some of us, we do this. We do this with our health. Some of us do this with our health. I know something's wrong, but I don't want to think about it. Don't want to think about cancer, diabetes, heart disease. I just don't want to think about it. Retirement. I don't, want to I don't want to think about saving. I don't want to think about being financially prepared. I don't want to think about it. Come on. 
not thinking about something doesn't stop it from happening. You know what I spent all week last week doing? My final. Hours and hours and hours doing the final because I knew it was coming. I just didn't want to think about it. And you can refuse to think about eternity. And right now you have all the freedom in the world to do that. But not thinking about it does not stop it from happening. It's true with school. It's true with, with, with um, health. It's true with finances. It's true with all of that. Not thinking about it. Not refuse or refusing to prepare for the final doesn't keep the final from happening. You know what it does? It leaves you unprepared. It leaves you unprepared. And how many times, come on, let's put, put death aside for a second. How many times in your life have you looked back and thought, man, I wish I would have paid attention in class. Man, I wish I would have taken better care of myself. Man, I wish I would have saved more. Wish I wouldn't have bought that. I wish I, would have, I wish I would have asked my mom, fill in the blank, right? I wish I would have, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids when they were young. All of these things that we look back on, and we think, I wish I would have, I wish I'd done that, would, not thinking about something. It doesn't keep it from happening. It just leaves you unprepared. And what's so critical about eternity as opposed to final exams or retirement or your health is that some of the decisions you make in this life will last forever. Some of the decisions won't. Like what you have for, for lunch today is not going to last forever. <laughs> Even if it's bad Taco Bell, it's not going to last forever. Your indigestion and heartburn is going to go away, right? Uh, high school students, the friends that you have right now in high school that you so desperately want their approval, more than likely you will not be friends with them 10 years from now. It doesn't last forever. The, 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 the new job you're thinking about taking, the new career path you're wanting to take, that's not going to last forever. Your retirement decisions, those are important, but it doesn't last forever. All of those things have implications. All of those things affect what we believe, but those decisions won't last forever. There are decisions that you make about faith, about Jesus specifically, about eternity, that it's going to last forever. And I think you should spend some time thinking about that. I think you should spend some time wrestling with that. So I want to suggest, I want to encourage, if you view me as your pastor, I want to come alongside and help you think about it for at least the next four weeks. Because I think you should think about it. Don't buy the myth that you don't have to think about it. I think you should. I think you should. That's number one. Number two, somewhat related to number one, nothing happens when you die. You just cease to exist, right? You live 50, 60, 70, 90 years, and then you just, you're, it's over. When it's over, it's over. This, this is one that I would really encourage you to think about deeply if, if you believe. Again, right now, you have the freedom to believe that. You have the freedom to think that. You have the freedom to speculate, to debate with people about that. But one day, you'll know. It will move from belief to reality. So I think you should think about this. This idea that nothing happens when you die is a relatively new idea. And there's multiple reasons for that. But if you look at every major world religion, if you look at every major philosophy, they all teach, they all think there's something. We, we debate what's after, but everybody believes something happens 
when you die. Yes, there are outliers that don't, but those are few and far between. Every major religion, every major philosophy believes that something has happened, something will happen after you die. And when you look at Scripture, like surprise, surprise, we should look at Scripture at this. It, it very clearly suggests something happens when you die. It happens when you die. So if you've got a Bible or a mobile device, you want to follow along, Revelation 21 is what we're going to look at today. Weird book in the Bible, I know. It's odd. It's fascinating. But when you start to understand the context it was written in, it's not nearly as weird as some people have made it to be, all right? So Revelation, written by John, one of the original 12 um, disciples of Jesus. Most scholars believe he was probably the youngest of the, the disciples. Um, Jesus dies and is resurrected in about AD 33. You fast forward 63 years to 96 AD, and this once young follower of Jesus that we read about in the Gospels is an old man. He's a pastor. He's a pastor that has watched people he loves persecuted, die of famine, being, being tortured because of their faith in Jesus. And he himself is exiled to an island, a Greek island called Patmos. And while he's there, he has this vision this vision of what will be. And just, just think about this. He's all alone, but he's a pastor. And so he's thinking about all the people that are still back home that are suffering. And God gives him this vision of what will be after death. And he sends this letter back to them and they read it and they're encouraged. So here's what John says to them. That's gonna happen at the end of all time. Revelation 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven, and a new earth. So earth gets renewed, not destroyed. That's interesting. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Do you notice the language of heaven is relational? Right? Like, like this is about a God who loves people, so he puts them together in a city. It's Jerusalem, right? This is the Jewish audience. So Jerusalem is it. And it's, it's the new Jerusalem. It's not the old Jerusalem. The Jerusalem has been fought over for thousands and thousands of years. This is a new Jerusalem. And, and do you notice the direction that it comes from? Do we go to it or does it come to us? It comes to us. It's a bride beautifully dressed. It's all relational. Language of heaven is relational. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. I'm going to pause right here for a second. Um, we have the Bible in English because that's the language we speak. But originally the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and some in Aramaic. But if you dig a little bit deep underneath the original language, this word dwelling place is actually tabernacle. God is tabernacling among the people. And it shows up again in the next sentence. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell. That's tabernacle. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So what's this, what's this tabernacle thing? Um, well, if you go back to the very beginning of the story of God's people in the Old Testament, you see God tell Moses to build a tabernacle, a tent, as they make their way through the wilderness, as, and they believe that was where God's presence was. If you wanted to know where God was, that the tabernacle 
was it. And, and in that tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, had the Ten Commandments in it, a couple of other things in it, but, but that's what they believed. That they believed God's presence, his, his relationship with them, his presence was in the tabernacle. Then fast forward a few years to Jerusalem, when they build the temple, there are three rooms in the temple. The outer room, the middle room, and the inner room. The inner room is called what? Holy of Holies, right? And this is the new tabernacle. This is where God's presence dwelt, and nobody could go in there except for the high priest and one time a year. This is where God's presence was. First chapter of John, fast forward, very famous Christmas passage tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt. He tabernacled. He came to be with us. And then when Jesus dies in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us that the curtain in the tabernacle was ripped into. And suddenly, everybody, anybody who comes to God through Jesus has access to God. Old Testament tabernacle. Jesus, tabernacle. At the end of all time, tabernacle. God wants to be with his people. It's the language of heaven. It's relational. But see, even if you believe that, and I know many of you do, you believe that you can, you can experience God's presence in your life. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to bring God to us. But even in that, there's, there's some things where you, there, like there are seasons where God is very present and he's very real in your life. And then there's some where it feels like he's silent. It feels like he's distant. It's like, is he still there? You have seasons where your faith is strong. There are other seasons where it feels like it's running on fumes. And here in Revelation 21, all that stuff is resolved. God is with us. It's, it's, it's ultra HD, 4K, clear as day. With us, we can see him. He can see us. Everything is in focus because you have immediate and close access to God. That's what happens in heaven. It's all relational. God will tabernacle. He will dwell with us and we will tabernacle or dwell with him. And what's going to happen there? John tells us. He, talking about God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. How many people do you allow to wipe tears from your eyes? Maybe your mom. Maybe your spouse if you're married. Kids if you have kids, right? Very few people do you allow into that intimate space. And here God wipes the tears from our eyes. There will be no more death no more mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You say, I want that now, Tim. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. But that doesn't come till later. Doesn't come till later. But I would ask this. Why is it that we want that now? Why is it that there's something in your soul that wants no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain? Why is it that something inside of you just revolts against death? Why is that? It's because you're made in the image of God. You're created to live forever. And here, the end of all time, we're told, all that stuff, it's gone. 
old way is gone. The new way has come. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne, if you read further, you see it's Jesus. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. If you are here last week, you heard Josh brilliantly unpack this. Chapter 3 of Exodus, Moses asked, hey God, what's your name? Because you, when you want to know someone personally, what's the, one of the first things you ask them? Hey, what's your name? He wants to know God's name. And God says, I'll give you my name. I am. And Moses says, that doesn't clear it up. And then all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, you see the Lord in caps. That's Yahweh. That's I am. That's I am. And then Jesus shows up. And what does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the great shepherd. I am living water. I am the bread of life. And that Jewish audience went, are you saying you're God? And Jesus said, yep. And then at the end of time, John gives us another picture of Jesus saying, I am. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and the end. He's timeless. Jesus is God. And some of you, I don't know, but some of you think God is mean or vindictive or just waiting for you to mess up so he can throw some lightning bolts your way. That's your idea of God. John gives us a completely different picture. Jesus told him to write this down. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Jesus says, you thirsty? You tired of sand and salt? I got free water. I got free water, and it'll quench your thirst. It'll quench, quench the thirst of your soul. That's who God is. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to Jesus. Are you thirsty? Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. More relational, family language. Isn't it true? Earthly relationships can be difficult sometimes. Heavenly relationships are easy. Oh, I'm ready for that. Right? Earthly family can be confusing and messy. Heavenly family is in high definition. It's crystal clear. It's pure. It's perfect because the old way is gone. New way has come. But yeah, nothing happens after you die. Come on. <laughs> Drill down real deep. And even if you don't admit it to anybody else, which one of those visions of the future do you want to be true? Which one do you want to be true? Nothing happens. It's just you just cease to exist. Or heaven. I got three more weeks on this, so hang tight. But my, my question to those who might believe this is, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, I, I, if I said, why do you believe nothing happens when you die? What's your answer? I don't know. I saw a YouTube video. I've always believed that. Or I, I had, you know, I had a teacher in, in college tell me that. What do you, have you thought about it? Have you read what other people believe about this? Got 2,000 years of church history that you can dive into. All kinds of different ideas. All kinds of different ways to go about doing this. I just ask, are you sure? Are you sure? That's myth number two. Myth number three. Whatever you believe happens, happens when you die. This is so postmodern. It's so postmodern. Well, you believe in reincarnation, so that's what happens to you. 
And you believe nothing happens when you die, so nothing happens when you die. And you're a Christian, so you get, you know, a harp and a cloud and a, a, a diaper, you know, whatever. Whatever happens, whatever, you just believe whatever you believe, that will happen. And there's so many holes in this one, but I'll just stick with one. Um, we are surrounded, surrounded by a culture that has drunk the Kool-Aid on subjective truth to our detriment, right? You say, why do you say that? Because subjective truth doesn't work when applied to objective reality. Okay, so just, just think about this real clearly. Try subjective truth in math class. They'll fail you, right? One plus two equals seven. F, right? Try subjective truth in chemistry. You'll blow up the school. Try subjective truth in relationships. Like there's some subjectivity in relationship, but just try subjective truth in relationships and see how well the relationship works. Try subjective truth when you're trying to build a house. Is it millimeter or centimeter or kilometer? Ah, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. It matters. Subjective truth doesn't work when applied to objective reality. And subjective truth is the basis for myth number three. Whatever you want to believe is what you believe. And there's coming a day, there's coming a day when when your belief will become reality. What you will see very clearly and I, again, I just ask, are you sure? Are you sure just whatever happens, happens when you die? Myth number four, everything works out just fine in the end. Don't worry about it. Don't spend time fretting about it. It's all going to work out just fine. And again, I'll just ask a question about this. It's a serious question. But how reliable is that line of thinking been so far in your life? Okay, don't go forward. Go back. Go back. Don't worry, everything will just work out just fine. How well has that worked? Credit card debt, that attitude at work, your diet, your health, your refusal to go to counseling with your spouse. How, how reliable is it? Will, it's just all going to work out fine. How, how well has that worked out just in practical everyday things? Like Bible's old and irrelevant. It do, don't pay attention to 2,000 years of human and church history. We're so much smarter than they were right? Just, just ignore your conscience whenever you feel guilty. It's just a social construct. It's all of these messages. It's just going to work out fine. It's just going to work out fine. See, I, I didn't read you the whole passage from Revelation 21 earlier. Like when you go to a funeral, they usually stop at verse 7. They don't read, they don't read verse 8, but I'm, we're going to come back to this in a few weeks, but I, I want to read you verse 8. Okay. Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Anyone who's thirsty, I will give them water from, from the river of life. All the people who will inherit this, all things are victorious. I'll be their God. They'll be my children. And then here's verse eight. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, think with me. How do you think John's original audience heard that? Because all of these kinds of people were the people who were doing this to them. So John says, there's coming a moment, there's coming a time when all of those people will be separated from God's people. Nobody reads this verse because nobody likes this verse. I don't like this verse 
but I'm reading it to you, and I'm going to spend all week next week. I wish I would have, could say I planned this on purpose. We're going to talk about hell on Halloween. <laughs> I did not do it on purpose. But that's, that, that, that's next week. Okay, we're going to come back to this, and we'll come back to it in part four, but I, I don't think Scripture says, I don't think Scripture teaches that everything's going to work out fine in the end for everybody. And the fact that you don't like that doesn't mean it's not true. There's all kinds of things in your life that, that are true that you don't like. Taxes, Congress, the authority of your parents or your boss, or the fact that you have to go to work tomorrow again and go to a job that you don't like. It's, it's, you don't like it, but it's true. Just because we don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. So we'll wrestle with that next week. And then myth number five, heaven's just a big vacation. Um, I've, I've attended my fair share of funerals. I have officiated my fair share of funerals, and by far, and I don't have scientific data, but by far, this is the prevailing attitude when it comes to heaven. Oh, he's just, he's just sitting by the big dock in the sky fishing all day. Or he's, he's playing golf all day long, every day. It's not true. Satan invented golf. It's not in heaven. <laughs> and I'm a golfer, right? She's, she's, just, she's just by, she's by the river. She's, she's hanging out by the beach with a little drink with a little umbrella in it, just listening to the, the waves crash. Why? Why do we think that about heaven? Where, where does that thinking come from? What's underneath that? This is, this is one of the reasons I want your questions, because I want you to think. I want you to think. Too many of us don't think about this stuff. We spend more time thinking about our next vacation than we do about eternity. There's something wrong with that. Let's think about this. Why is that the majority view of heaven? And I'll tell you what I think, and you can, you can agree or disagree with me, that's fine. But I think the majority of people view heaven as a big vacation because pleasure has become a greater God than Jesus, especially in our culture. Just one more vacation. Just one more spa day, just one more trip to the beach, one, one more weekend at the lake, one more round of golf, one more golf trip, one more day in the sun. And if I just can have that, then I'll be fulfilled. Has anybody noticed that doesn't fulfill you? Has anybody noticed it's, it's fleeting fulfillment? Like pleasure's a terrible God. <laughs> it promises everything and under, under delivers every time. And Jesus comes along. He says, are you thirsty? Do you, you want to be fulfilled at the soul level? Come follow me. Let me show you the way to abundant life. Come on, if there really is a God, there really is a God and he cares about you and your life, don't you owe it to yourself to pay attention to what he says about eternity? Like, don't, don't you think we should drill down real deep and see if there's anything to what he says. Instead of just believing that heaven is a long vacation or heaven, just believing whatever the soup of the day is. I think you owe it to yourself to drill down real deep to think about this. So we're going to think about this. Really think about this. And I want to tackle your questions as honestly and as transparently as I can. You know what, you know what my answer is going to be to some of your questions? I have no idea. I have no idea, but let's ask the questions together.
Let's wrestle with them together. Let's do this like heaven together. Let's do it in relationship. Let's figure it out. Let's have some conversations. What kind of questions do you have about heaven? Don't hold back, fire away, and we'll see what we can learn about all this together. Because again, this is, this is the bottom line for the entire series. Some decisions you make in this life will last forever. And I want you to wrestle. I want you to wrestle with some of those decisions. And so that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. I will see some of you next week. <laughs> but others of you, even if you're not here, you're going to watch online because you want to know. You got some questions. Get us the questions. We'll wrestle with that next week. Let me pray for you, and then we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, thank you for a time to come together in this place and worship. Be reminded of what you've done in history. To be reminded for, for some of us what you've done in our own lives. God, as we, as we sung today, you're worthy of it all. And that's actually, it's a, it's a, it's a snapshot from Revelation where all the saints and the angels, where all the elders lay their crown down, the throne, the Lamb of God. It's a snapshot from a, a, manu a, a document that was written thousands and thousands of years ago, and at the same time, it's a snapshot of what's going to happen in our future. So God, would you help us as we... Um, as we wrestle with this, as we ask these questions, as we search our own hearts, maybe, maybe even as we have conversations around dinner tables and living rooms and in cars with our kids, on the way to practice, on the way home from school, wherever it is, God, would you invade those conversations with your presence? Would you lead us into all truth? Because we, maybe nobody else does, but I want to get this right. I want to get this right. And I want as many people as possible to get this right and to experience no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. That you make us the kind of people who continually point others to that reality over and over and over again. And in the end, it is about your kingdom. It is about your glory, not ours. We ask this. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Text us your questions. Fill out the connection card. Let me give, give it, give it as hard as a question you can get, all right? And I'll give it to Frank and he can answer it, all right? <laughs> Have a great week. You're dismissed.